morning, church. Thank you, Robert. <laughs> uh, so as I get up here this morning, I want to set the record straight on a couple of things. Several of you have commented on my attire this morning. Um, I figure I can at least look the part. Uh, maybe can't act the part, but I'll at least look the part. And uh, the other part of that is I'm extremely competitive, and most people don't know that. But last week, Pastor Ryan put on a coat, and that's a big thing. So if Pastor Ryan wore a coat, I knew I had to step up my game quite a bit, so I went all out. Uh, no, not really. I, I enjoy dressing up, so it's kind of fun. Uh, the other thing I want to address this morning is um, this is my home church. This is my first sermon at my home church, but this is not my first sermon. And uh, uh, this was actually uh, brought back to my mind this morning as I saw a member of a former church that I served at walk in the back door. Uh, Brother Cliff here uh, drove 900 plus miles just to hear me preach this morning. And he actually heard my first sermon. It was the first Sunday, or it was probably the second Sunday of April in about 2001. And he actually heard me, and he's coming back again today. Uh, that's amazing. Now, he, he came to see some family, and it's good to see you. But uh, this morning, uh, the other thing I want to address, Pastor Ryan went a little short, and several of you have asked me if I'm going to go even shorter. No. Pastor Ryan uh, and I were taking some seminary courses together and we compare notes and uh, Pastor Ryan will say something in about 500 words. I will say it in about 2,500 words. So there's a little bit of difference in the way we interact this morning. So I figure uh, if y'all remember a few years ago, several of the cell phone companies had what they call rollover minutes. <laughs> what Pastor Ryan didn't use last week, I'm just going to roll over to this week so I can take his extra minutes. We're all okay with that, right? Okay, well, probably not. So anyways, this morning I want to ask you a couple of questions. First of all, does anybody remember the books, uh, their children's books from, uh, they started in 1985 and went through the early 2000s, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie? Anybody remember that book? Uh, parents of young children, yes. Uh, they have 16 books in that series now. So if you give a mouse a cookie, if you give a pig a pancake, and what I have here today, if you give a dog a donut, uh, I like the alliteration on this one, a dog and donut. Uh, the premise here is if you give a mouse a cookie, that's the one I'm most familiar with, he's going to want a glass of milk to go with it. And if you give him the milk, he's going to want a straw because he wants to avoid a milk mustache. If he wants a straw, he's going to want a mirror to see himself in it. When he sees himself in the mirror, he's going to want some nail scissors because he's going to want to trim his hair. Once he sees the nail scissors and he trims his hair, he wants a broom to clean up after him. Then he wants a nap. Then he wants a story to go for his nap. Uh, parents, this is sounding familiar, right? Uh, he wants a story. Then he wants to draw. And then he wants to take his drawing and hang it on the refrigerator. After that, he sees the refrigerator and he gets thirsty again and he wants another glass of milk. And chances are, if you give a mouse a glass of milk, he's going to want a cookie to go with it. It's a circular story that continues on and on and on. Amen, parents? We all remember this. The moral of the story is taken several ways. And I read on this <laughs> several times this week that uh, it can be taken political. It can be taken uh, you know, as a child learning something about parenthood. And I, I don't think that's ever going to happen. But that is one of the things that people say. But one of the things that I see in this story that stuck out to me the most is the never-ending uh, wanting of more. 
by giving something, there's always something more that the, the pig or the mouse or the dog or the moose or whoever it is wants. There's a lack of contentment. The mouse wants a cookie, then he wants the milk, and then he wants the straw, and there's always something more. The cycle goes on and on, and then at the end, the mouse just starts the cycle right over. There's always something more to distract us. So here's the grown-up version of the child book, and I'm going to make this... uh, Let's see if you can pick up on what this is. A grown-up version of this might go like this. If you give Andy a gun, he's going to want a hunting dog to go with it. If you give him his hunting dog, he's going to want a new pickup truck to take the dog hunting. If you give him the new pickup truck, then he's going to want a camper to go with it. If you give him a camper, then he's going to want an ATV. If he wants an ATV, then he's going to want a jet ski. He's going to want things and things and things, right? Um, So then eventually what happens is Andy needs another new pickup truck to pull all this stuff. And then he needs more land to to, uh, settle it all down. And then he needs to find a way to pay for all the crushing debt that comes along with that. Amen? Uh, So, I'm telling you this because this is actually a story from my life. (laughs) Pastor Ryan started off talking about a marathon. I will never run a marathon. Just mark that down. Uh, But what happened to me... Uh, I went to a, a conference or to a dinner and won a gun. And I thought, oh, great, this is fun. Now I need a dog to go with it. And I thought, I got a new dog and a new gun. Now I'm going hunting. I can't go in an old beat-up pickup truck. I got to have a new truck to go with it. This is my continual struggle, contentment, is what I have enough. What I have is more than enough. And in fact, here's how much I've been struggling with this. Um, last few weeks, I've been surfing the Internet looking at... Um, well, I won't name dealership names, but every dealership in Wichita that sells pickup trucks. Yeah. Uh, and I don't want much, really. I mean, I'll, I'll be, I don't want much. I'll take a brand new uh, 2018, even the 19s are coming out, um, Dodge Ram 2500 Laramie Longhorn, which is, it's just the top of the line, right? If that's not, if that doesn't work out, I'll take a Chevy or a GMC. I, I tell you how desperate I've got. I've even looked at Ford's. I'm not a Ford guy, uh, but I would take a Ford uh, F-250. Um, the Platinum Edition is very nice. It's got all the nice leather. Everything is there. I mean, it, it is beautiful. And for me to say that about a, a truck is fine. I'd even take, listen, they announced the other day that the F-150 is coming out with a new edition. It's the limited edition, and it has the Raptor engine in it. Oh, yes. <laughs> That's proof that God loves us right there. Um, you know what, though? The problem with that is eventually that truck is going to lose its luster. It's going to lose its shine, and I'm going to want a new one. Or, worst case, I'm going to get that new truck, and then I'm going to want something else to go along with it. I'm going to want more and more and more. Am I alone? I know, I know I'm not. It's okay. It's a rhetorical question. You don't have to confess to me. But here's where I think I'm not alone. Think about this. Look at... Every advertisement you see on TV, what are they telling you? You don't have enough. You don't have what you need. You don't have uh, what it takes. Or if you want this, if you get this, you'll be happy. Uh, Everything from uh, boats, wealth, fame, status, uh, youth, and now even, not, not now, but it's all been going on, beauty. If you have these things, you'll be happy. You'll be content. 
The Bible paints a little different picture, though, doesn't it? And this is where the struggle comes in. When we're discontent Christians, we're really kind of slapping God in the face. Uh, Pastor Ryan preached last week, and it's, it, I don't believe in coincidence. Uh, Pastor Ryan preached on what it takes to have joy in all circumstances, and they go hand in hand, contentment and joy. Uh, and another sermon that was preached here not long ago that I loved was, my greatest need is Jesus. I don't need more things. I don't need more status. What I need more of is Jesus. So this morning, I want you to listen to this quote from A.W. Tozer in his book, The Pursuit of God. He says, there is within the human heart a tough, fibrous root of fallen life whose nature is to possess, always possess. It covets things with a deep and fierce passion. The root of our hearts have grown down into things, and we dare not pull up one rootlet lest we die. Things have become necessary to us, a development never originally intended. God's gifts now take the place of God, and the whole course of nature is upset by the monstrous substitution. This was written years and years ago. Is that not an accurate portrayal of today? The desire to have more and more and more has become a problem. So this morning we're going to look at 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 3. And as, we, as you turn there, I'll give you a little bit of time. Uh, Timothy's writing, or excuse me, Paul is writing to Timothy here. And he's uh, writing a letter to him, helping him out in ministry and, and how to lead a church, how to be a godly man. And he's giving him instructions on how to handle things within the church. These are called the pastoral letters here. Uh, he takes uh, to Timothy to task and he reminds Timothy to hold on to the truth. He makes a big point to pursue godliness and then to experience contentment in, in chapter 6 where we're going. He reminds Timothy that contentment is found in Christ alone. That's, that's where we're going to kind of dwell this morning. And it's Christ alone and not anything the world has to offer. As A.W. Tozer said, we've substituted what the world has to offer for Christ. This morning, uh, an, oven, an often overlooked part of our Christianity and our Christian discipline is contentment. So let's look at Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy 1, 6, 3 through uh, 11 is where we're going. It says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and he understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. That's verse 6, and that's where we're going to concentrate this morning. But he goes on, For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness." There's some good words in there. Uh, the last word of verse uh, 10, pangs. Not a word we use a lot anymore, is it? Anybody know what that means? 
I looked it up. I'm kind of like that. It says a sense of deep emotional or physical pain. They've pierced themselves through with many pangs. So uh, this morning, let's define a couple words before we get going. Content. Um, so we've got this slide here. We've got feeling or showing satisfaction with one's possession, status, or situation. That's Merriam-Webster's definition. Uh, pretty good. But if you look at a biblical definition, it's not a passive acceptance of the status quo, but the positive assurance that God has supplied one's needs and the consequent release from unnecessary desires. Let that sink in a minute. The release of one's unnecessary desires. I really don't need that new truck. I really don't need the ATV, and I don't need the things that I've, I've listed, right? Um, and the word that Paul uses here, and listen, okay, I'm not a Greek scholar. I know Dr. Branch likes to get up here and talk about Greek words, and he really explains them well. I'm going to fumble my way through this, okay? The word here that he uses, autarkia, is, is the Greek word. Uh, it's used more in secular writings than it is in Christian writings. And it has the idea, the self, uh, the, the idea here is self-sufficiency. That I can do it. I'm enough. I should be happy in just myself. Um, that we should be content in, any, in nothing outside of us but our own selves. That doesn't really work though, does it? We need more to be content than what we have. So Paul takes this word that is meaning self-sufficiency and he turns it around. He takes something that his Greek hearers would know and understand the word and he takes it and applies it in a Christian way. He says this, he said it was more about Christ's sufficiency. It's not about you being self-sufficient, it's about leaning on Christ for your sufficiency. And so that to depend and conform our lives to Christ is where we find contentment. Now, side note, nothing here and nothing I'm going to say today gives us an excuse to not work hard. Uh, to say that I have everything I need, uh, I don't need to work hard, I don't need to be a good employee, I don't need to be a good boss, I don't need to go to work. I mean, that would be lovely, wouldn't it? Anybody not want to go to work tomorrow morning? I see that hand, thank you. Nothing gives us the excuse to not work hard. Nor does it preclude us having things. It doesn't preclude us from being rich. So get that in there. So second definition I want to go to is godliness. And this is an interesting, interesting word. I think everybody's got a definition of godliness, right? You, th you know what it means. It's a word we've heard over and over and over in church. We know what it, we got the idea, right? So let me give you two definitions from some, some big names. Uh, Spurgeon said this, godliness makes man like God. Godliness leads a man to love God and to serve God. It brings the fear of God before his eyes and the love of God into his heart. Godliness leads to consecration, to sanctification, and to consecration. John MacArthur put it this way. Godliness is a right attitude and response toward the true creator God, a preoccupation from the heart with holy and sacred realities. It is respect for what is due God and is thus the highest of all values. So, some pretty good definitions there, and I know the godliness didn't make it onto your screens. That was kind of a, a later edition. Um, but let's kind of work our way through 1 Timothy 6 and find out what, what all this has to do with contentment, okay? So, give you the brief flyover, uh, give you kind of an idea of what's going on here, and then we're going to kind of dump, jump into the contentment issue. 
So in verses three through five, we're, we're talking about some seriously bad things happening in the church. Did you catch that? These words we don't look at and we go, oh, yeah, that's really bad. But look at what's happening in the church, right? They're teaching false doctrines, leading people astray. Uh, people are puffed up. They're proud. They crave controversy, quarrels about words. So, uh, you know, this means this, this means that. And, and people are stirring the pot, really getting people upset and, and fighting over what it means to be a Christian or what this word means in the Bible. That's bad. They're quarrels about words. They produce envy. They, they're jealous of each other. Uh, dissension. Oh boy, dissension. That doesn't happen in the church today, so we're just going to move on, right? Slander, evil suspicions, constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of truth. Then the worst thing that they do, they imagine that the gospel is a means of financial gain. I thought, wow, that's pretty bad. Does anybody do that today? You see that? I love, uh, used to love watching sitting televangelists. Uh, this was back before we were uh, able to afford cable. We were poor and we had the antenna on the roof. You remember those days? And I would sit and watch the televangelists because that was like the one station that we got that came in clearly. Uh, what do they say? Sow your seed to my ministry today. Uh, wow. And today they're getting worse. They're even coming out and saying, hey, I need you to give so I can buy a brand new jet. One guy actually said this here a couple weeks ago. Did you know that? He said, give so I can buy this multi-million dollar jet is like some super fancy thing. They are taking the gospel and using it for their own financial gain. So he moves on. Verse 6, and he says, let's flip this upside down. Paul says that godliness with contentment is great gain. Yes, you're right. He's saying, yes, you're right. You've got something right. He's saying... The gospel is great gain, but not in the way you think. Don't use this for your own personal financial gain. He says, yeah, it's there, but it's not in the way you see it. So the gain from godliness, what he's saying is way beyond the things that you have here. And he illustrates it by saying this, you brought nothing into the world, and when you die, you'll take nothing out of it. Right? Saying, so anything you acquire here is worthless. Oh, the gospel and a godly life bring exactly opposite of what these people are saying. Further underscoring, he says that, you know, you can't, you can't take it with you. Uh, the thing that is gain is salvation. Uh, then he says, we should be content with the basic necessities, food, clothing, a place to sleep. And then he goes on to illustrate it even, even more. The problem with desiring more, a desire to be rich will lead us into temptation. Surely not, right? Desire to be rich will lead us into temptation. It'll harm and destroy us. Why? Because the love of money... The green dollar bills will lead us away from God because the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. Now, this is one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible, right? Uh, people say the love of money is the root of all evil or money is the root of all evil. And that's, that's not what the Bible says. But he says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. When we follow after money before God, we wander away from our faith and we pierce ourselves through with many pangs. Kind of where, where he goes this morning, in a, in a very nutshell, that's the New Andy version. If you like that, I'm going to write it down for you. That's my favorite translation of the Bible is the New Andy version. Uh, if you like it too, come see me afterwards. So I want to show you four things this morning that I find about contentment. And the Bible is pretty clear about contentment in, some, in several passages. But the first thing is contentment is a learned discipline. And I, and I talked to a friend this week and uh, 
said, you know, you don't really think about that as a discipline. So our disciplines we think of are what? Prayer, uh, reading your Bible, fasting, Serving Those kinds of things are disciplines. Those are things that we are to put into practice as Christians. But contentment is one as well. So Philippians 4.11, Paul says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. He says, I've learned this. I didn't start off this way. I've learned this. And then he says in Timothy 6.11, But for you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness. It's a seeking after. It's leaving what's, what you were looking at and going after something else. It's not a, an issue of all of a sudden I get it. You don't get this divine moment where, ah, it's all good. He's saying you have to pursue, you have to seek, you have to learn how to be content. Let's face it, contentment is not my natural state, right? I've already told you if you give Andy things, what's going to happen, right? Uh, Contentment is not my natural state. We have to exercise our faith in order to learn contentment. We have to become godly. Remember what MacArthur's definition of godliness was? Godliness is a right attitude and response toward the true creator God, a preoccupation from the heart with holy and sacred realities. It is respect for what is due God and is thus the highest of all values. A preoccupation from the heart with holy and sacred realities. Okay, to get kind of theological here, the unregenerate man cannot be content because contentment is found only in God and you have to learn through being godly to be content. Second point I want to see is contentment is commanded. This was not a fun thing. Uh, We're familiar with a lot of commands in the Bible, right? Be holy. The Bible tells us to pray. The Bible commands us to do many, many things, right? But here... Contentment is commanded. Uh, if you look at Luke 3.14, the soldiers asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations, and be what? Thank you. Uh, thank you, Miss Peggy. Uh, you're awake. Anybody else awake out there? What does that say? Be what? Be content with your wages. Whew. Hebrews 13, 5, keep your life free from love of money and be what? With what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. See any options in that? Be content. Be content if, or be content or, is not there, right? These are commands. Paul knew what it was like to be in want. He knew what it was like to be in plenty. He knew what it was like to be in pain. He knew what it was like to be comfortable. Uh, he knew what it was like to be in rags and riches. I mean, he knew, it, he knew it all. And he says, I have learned to be content. Do we take it seriously enough that this command alters our lives? Am I content with what I have. I've already confessed, right? Uh, I've spent several weeks looking for new trucks that I really don't need, thinking that if I get this, then I can get this, and I've I've got it all planned out. Uh, Some other people in the family don't agree with me on that plan, but that's okay. We'll come to an agreement eventually, Uh, which means I will say I don't need those things. Why is it only ladies laughing at that one? 
These are commands. Are we guilty of taking these commands too lightly? I better move on. Uh, I was always told uh, several things. Well, in our time down south, one of the things I was told was, now, you quit preaching and you went to meddling, right? I don't want to do that. So, point number three. Contentment transcends our situations. 2 Corinthians 12.10, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Am I content with weakness? Not really. Um, I don't necessarily consider myself to be the most manly man in the world, but I don't consider myself to be uh, the opposite of that either, okay? But am I content in weakness? What guy wants to be weak? Right? Anybody say, yes, I just love that. No, nobody wants to be weak. Insults. Do you love it when people insult you? Not really. <laughs> uh, I learned pretty on in, in uh, management that those under you not all the time like you, and they throw some insults your way. Anybody experience that? Not a fun thing. Hardships. Anybody just love difficulties in life? <laughs> no. Who goes, I need some more hardship in my life. Come on, bring me some hardship, God. Nobody I know of has ever asked that. <laughs> if you have, please come talk to me. We, we need to talk. Uh, how about calamities? And that's a weird word to me, calamities. When things are falling apart. Okay, so Friday, something fell apart here, didn't it, Mark? Uh, if, you, if you didn't know yet, our ceiling fell in in the dining room over here. Calamity. Things are falling apart. <laughs> now, good news is taken care of. The roofing company was already here. It's, it's, no, it's no big deal. But in calamities, am I content? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to point you out there, Mark, but we did talk about it this morning. So, <laughs> Moving on, Philippians 4.11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation... In whatever situation I find myself in, I'm content. Paul said that. He's, okay. You know, whatever happens to me, I'm okay. Whatever happens to me, I know that God's got it under control. Am I that way? Whew. And before you say, Andy, you're stepping on my toes, just remember that I was stepping on my own toes first. They hurt already, okay? Am I content whatever my situation um, I'll be honest, I'm not. There are days when I really want to improve my situation a lot. There are days when I want to go, okay, we're moving out of town, we're gonna grab 100 acres, we're gonna build a house, we're gonna have all the things I want and we're just gonna leave society behind and then I'll be content, right? There are days when I wanna run away from my job and go find something that pays me, you know, a few more zeros after the number, and I just want to run away. I want to go, I am not content here. Uh, there are days when uh, I'm weak and I don't want to deal with things. I don't want to deal with it at all. And I don't get content in those. My natural situation is not to go, hey, God's got it. <laughs> yeah. 
Paul said, in whatever situation. If I'm weak, I'm content. If I'm insulted, I'm content. If I have hardships and persecutions and calamities, hey, no big deal. I'm content. Why? For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. He's relying on God's power. All right, moving on. Point number four. This kind of mirrors last week too. Uh, Contentment is found in Christ alone. If you're trying to find contentment anywhere else but in Christ, you're not going to find it. Uh, It can't be found in people, things, places. Uh, Like I said, I want to move out of town, get away from everybody. That's not going to do it. Only Jesus. So let's look at a few scriptures here. Hebrews 13.5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Don't look, don't miss that. He has said. And he says, I will never. Jesus said, I am here. I will never leave you. Rest in me. Philippians 4.19. And who? All right, wake up. Who? My God will what? Supply. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, I've got to tell you, I learned that verse when I was a kid in a different translation, right? I like this translation. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in in glory in Christ Jesus. Every need of yours. That makes it personal, doesn't it? Yeah. Do I take that seriously? Do I really trust that God's going to supply every need that I have? Well, let's be honest. Talk to you guys just a moment. Guys, we want to provide, don't we? We want to be the ones to take care of everything. I want to do it. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to get stuff, and I'm going to provide a financial security for my family. What's the common theme is I. The Bible promises that God will supply every need of yours according to his riches. Philippians 4.13, and this is often a misused and somewhat abused verse in Scripture, right? Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He's not talking about, um, okay, perfect example. Um, I goaded somebody into signing our church up for the softball team league with the city, right? Um, And then I felt guilty because I said, yeah, you need to do this. So I said, I'll play. Uh, Okay, so I just turned 40. And I haven't been physically active like that in a few years. Um, I didn't go out there and I can't claim Philippians 4.13 thing. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength and I'm going to get up there at a bat and I'm going to crank it out of the park every time. (laughs) Who was that? Oh, okay. We had fun. Uh, We had a lot of injuries. And uh, if you want proof that that is not the way the scripture gets applied, there were a lot of injuries on our team. What Paul's saying is directly connected to the verses before. He says, I know what it's like to be in need. I won't know what it's like to be without needs. I know what it's like to be everything. And I know now how to be content in every situation. 
And then he tells us why. He says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. It's not a verse where we can go out and say, I'm a little uh, older than I used to be, and I'm a lot more out of shape than I used to be, and I'm just going to go out there, I'm going to play softball, I'm going to go around the bases, and I'm not going to pull a hammy, or I'm not going to trip over the bases, or, you know, these things, right? I'm just going to be a perfect player. That's not what it means. He's saying that I've learned to be content because I have the strength of God in my life. John 3, or 6, 35, he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The common thread here is God providing everything, Jesus being the provider, Christ being the one who says, I am the bread of life. I am the, the one who quenches your thirst. Believe on me, and you'll never be thirsty. You'll never be hungry. There's a contentment that comes with trusting Christ alone. Where does, this, where does this all hit the road? Well, it comes when Andy gets bored and I say, you know what, I wonder what this dealership out here on Kellogg has in inventory this week. I don't like what they have in inventory. I'm going to go out to West Kellogg. and I'm, Nope, I don't like what they've got. How about Newton or how about Kansas City? Or, you know what, I'd drive to Tulsa to go get my new truck. Isn't that silly? Now, I will tell you that Tulsa has a little bit better prices than Wichita does, but, you know. Am I trusting in Christ alone for my contentment? Or am I trusting in things, my, my truck, my job? We like to trust in that, right? Uh, how about people? Can you trust in people for contentment? You can't. Do we try and do it, though? Yeah. Students, um, one of the things that I will tell you is if you look to that boyfriend or girlfriend for contentment, that's not going to work. It'll work for a little while, you'll be happy, but it's not a long-term solution. If I look to my wife or you look to your husband for contentment, you're not going to find it there. The Bible's very clear. We have to find that in Christ alone. All right, so I'm, I'm liking to... Uh, part of me, I like to provide solutions when I find problems. That's kind of a part of my job throughout the week. i uh, kind of an operations guy, so when there's a problem, I have to find a solution. So how do we be content? How do we find contentment? So as we leave this morning, uh, I don't want to leave you with just that. I want to give you some practical hands-on application to how to find commitment. Um, there's four points. I joked this morning with, uh, with our pastors that... Uh, after the seventh point, we're all going to have a seventh point stretch here, like they do at the baseball games, right? You know, seventh inning stretch, so seven point stretch, but we're not, we're not going to get that far. So how do, how do I find contentment? How to be content? First thing I have to say is seek God first. That sounds pretty basic, doesn't it? You're like, well, gosh, Andy, that's real deep. I'm expecting a little bit more. Well, the reality is it's real easy to get out of this point. Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. When we seek God first, that puts the rest of our priorities in the right order. If God is first, then everything else falls into place. When I'm not seeking God first, 
What do I want? Stuff, right? Or I want money or whatever the case is for you. When I seek God first, the Bible says everything else will be added. Now, do I get what I want? So if I seek God first, I can go down to dealership A and say, hey, God told me that I can get a pickup truck and God's going to give it to me and I don't have to worry about paying for it. Is that a proper application of the Bible? No. What happens? When I seek God first, my will becomes conformed to his and the things that he desire are now the things that I desire. When I desire his things, everything else falls into line. I find myself not needing to go look at new trucks. Um, I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. But uh, point number one, seek God first. Number two, trust God for our necessities. Philippians 4.19 again, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Uh, not our wishes, not our wants, not our, not our list of, boy, I'd be... Uh, okay, if I had this, or boy, this would really up my status in such and such place, right? This is, uh, my needs will be fulfilled. If my needs are fulfilled, I don't have anything else that really I have to have, right? Because we've got to separate the needs from the wants. He will supply all of our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Okay, so number three. This is where it gets a little more tough. Guard against greed and coveting. Okay, how do we do that? Luke 12, 15, and he said to them, take care and be on your guard. Watch out against covetous, covetousness, for one's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. Well, if that doesn't just really hit home, <laughs> I don't know what does for me. That scripture right there, be on your guard. It's easy to let our guards down, isn't it? It's easy to stop or slow down, or take a moment of rest in seeking God first. When I let my guard down, that's when I start looking for things. That's when I take my eyes off of Jesus and I start seeing the things that everybody else has. I start coveting. I want, I want what you have. You want what I have. And I mean, it goes on and on and on and on. We have to be on guard against coveting. We have to forth develop a spirit of gratitude, Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Let us be grateful. Um, when was the last time we took a moment and said, thank you, God, for what I already have? So maybe we sit down at the dinner table and we say, thank you, God, for this meal and thank you, God, for taking care of me. Thank you, God, for this day. But when was the last time I thanked God for what I already had? When, when was the last time I sat down and I said, okay, God, I, I, I've been looking at these trucks, but thank you for the one that I already have. Or houses or things, any other thing that, you, that you've been looking after. I remember MacArthur's definition of godliness, a preoccupation of the heart with godly things. Develop that spirit of gratitude. So as we close this morning, I got some questions that I want to ask. And uh, this is as, as we kind of come to the point of, we've looked at the Bible, we're looking at now how to be content. I have to ask myself a few questions. 
And believe me, I've asked myself these questions a lot in the last couple weeks. One, am I seeking godliness before everything else in my life? Have I put the six, Matthew 6.33 into practice? Am I seeking first his kingdom? Number two, do I really trust God to provide for my needs? That's tough. Number three, have I allowed a covetous or greedy spirit into my life? Number four, is what God has already blessed me with enough or am I still desiring more? Uh, as Americans, this is kind of our thing, isn't it? It's kind of our thing to want more and more and more and more. Um, this reminds me of a song, and we've done this song here. Uh, it's called More and More of You, I believe is the title. And it's by a, a group named Selah. And here's the, here's the first uh, lyrics. We've had enough of getting everything we want. We're weary of living this life just for us. Oh, forgive us all for seeking your hand and not your face. Come and empty us, Father. We're desperate in this place. Verse two, you have given us so much more than we deserve. You deliver us by the power of your word. So God, we lift you up, giving you the honor that is yours. Thank you for your love. This is what we're living for. One of my favorite songs, and uh, I've had to play that over and over in the last few weeks. Um, let me ask you this as we draw this all to a close. Are you tired of getting everything you want? To be honest, a lot of us are going to say, nope. I'm really okay with getting everything I want. Um, are we at the point where seeking after things has gotten tired? Are we tired of constantly having the drive to go and get more and more and more? Can we say, God, I'm done. God, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to seek you first. I'm going to trust in your provision. And I'm going to be content with exactly where I'm at. If you give a person Jesus, referencing back to the book, if you give a person Jesus, this would be a short book, wouldn't it? If you give a person Jesus, then he has all he needs. Are you at the point today where you're ready to be content? Not an easy thing. I'll, I'll be real honest, it's not easy at all. So this morning, my question to you is, are you ready to be content? Will you look to God and say, I will trust you for everything that I need and nothing more? Uh, bow your heads with me and we'll pray uh, as our instrumentalists and, and musicians come up. Uh, what's God asking today? Uh, maybe God is asking you like you as me to be content. Andy, stop looking at those trucks. Andy, stop worrying about getting a new this or a new that. Uh, is he asking you to trust him for salvation? There's probably someone here today that says, Andy, I don't know what you're talking about. I want more and more stuff, but I'd like to be content in Jesus. If you're not a believer today, if you haven't trusted God for your eternal life, we're gonna sing a song of invitation here. Uh, the pastors will be here this morning. I'll be here. We'd love to talk to you and tell you about what it, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe you are a believer already and you say, uh, I need to be obedient. Maybe you say, I need to be obedient and be baptized. I'm a believer. I trust in Christ for my salvation, but I've never been baptized. Maybe it's something even where I need to join with Emmanuel. I've been coming. I've been attending.
I like this church. I like these people. God wants me here, but I've never joined. Will you come and join us? Last, I would say this invitation is if you need to come and pray, this altar is open. Uh, our pastors will be down here if you want somebody to pray with. There's plenty of room. There's no need to worry about that. But if you need to come and pray, please do. What's God asking you to do today? Will you be content? Do you need to become a believer? Do you need to trust in Christ for salvation? Whatever it is today, he's calling. Will you come? Let me pray and then we'll sing our invitation song.